Welcome to Food Marketing Nerds, your weekly serving of marketing advice and industry insights with the smartest minds in the business. Here's your host, Alex Osterley. What is good, my fellow nerds? On the show today, we have Fred Hart, partner and creative director at Interact on Shelf. Fred has been on the podcast a number of times and he always brings it, which is why we keep inviting him back on the show. Interact is a world-class branding and packaging design firm that specializes in consumer packaged goods. And they recently launched a really informative series called Sprint to Success, which explains the branding and packaging design process in a way that really demystifies the whole thing. The content dives into research, strategy, and creative work that goes into identifying and capitalizing on the white space in a given category. And in today's episode, Fred talks us through that process of developing a winning brand strategy and applying it through all facets of the brand. While Interact specializes in CPG and the deliverable of the process we discuss is ultimately new packaging design, the knowledge Fred shares around brand strategy and how to apply it in the real world is truly universal across the spectrum of different industries. Whether or not you have a rebrand in the pipeline, there are plenty of valuable takeaways in this episode for all of our brand marketers out there. So let's get to it. Fred, welcome back on the show. It's good to be here. My mom is so proud right now. I'm on the radio. I've made it. Oh, mine too. Mine too. <laughs> At least we know that they're listening. So for our audience who has yet to listen back on previous episodes that you've been featured in, what's your backstory? Sure. My, so my backstory is I am a partner and the creative director at Interact Boulder. We're a branding agency based in Boulder, Colorado, surprise, surprise. And we work exclusively with the food and beverage industry. So we got a team of 15 amazing folks, and we really focus on building brands or revitalizing brands, mostly in the emerging and challenger space, although we've been working with incubators for big food that wants to be more entrepreneurial. Very cool. Seems like a big trend that's happening these days. So I uh, came across your Sprint to Success content series on BevNet and was compelled to reach out and get you back on the podcast. Can you talk through this content series, what Sprint to Success is and what just top line overview of that process? Absolutely. So Sprint to Success was an idea that was born right as COVID hit. We realized we had some extra bandwidth, as many people did at the time. and We've been so dedicated to the food and beverage industry that we wanted to try to find a way to give back with our time. So we reached out to our good friends at BevNet and said, hey, we want to do something to help entrepreneurs. Entrepreneurs in the food and beverage world are the ones that are suffering the most because retailers are taking away their shelf space. They're no longer prioritizing innovation. For a long time there, it was like, if you don't sell a food staple, you're not getting placement right now. So we came up with this idea of Sprint to Success. And Sprint to Success is a seven-week process where we start from strategy and finish off with a full redesign for one entrepreneur in need. So we put out a call to entrepreneurs laying out exactly what we'd be doing, that we'd be creating a content series out of it, and that they'd have to be comfortable with sharing the good, the bad, the ugly with everyone, essentially, for the benefit of the community to learn from what it takes for an agency to do its work, as well as the collaboration and the thoughts that an entrepreneur has as they go through the process. So we think we had about over 100 applicants, and it was incredible. We narrowed down to a really tough 13 finalists, had them all send us product, tried them all in the studio, held interviews, and then eventually landed on Melissa Martinelli and a brand that she owns called Superfrau. And Superfrau is a really cool hydration beverage made from upcycled whey. Mm -hmm. And whey, if you're not familiar, is basically 
in its natural form, the water content that you'll find sometimes on a tub of yogurt. Most people think of whey as like being protein heavy, but that's actually like whey isolate. And so the natural form of whey is an electrolyte liquid. And it's been consumed for thousands of years, especially in Alpine type places like Switzerland. And she's out of Boston working with dairy farmers to take this waste and turn it into Gatorade 2.0. Natural, all of these like incredible benefits. And so the Sprints to Success program was us sharing with the world in bite-sized episodes what it took to get us from the initial start and conversations and strategy all the way to a final redesign, taking it to print, building her brand book and letting her off into the real world to go compete. That is super exciting. Very well described, summed up process of what what all went into that. (laughs) Thank you. What were the biggest takeaways, the learnings from who applied and just the application process in general? Yeah. So we made sure that we put some criteria in the application process. So for instance, we made a cutoff of about 2 million in revenue. So anywhere from pre-revenue to two, because we really wanted entrepreneurs and young ones to take advantage of this. So that just helps you kind of understand how early stage some of these companies were. Most of them were probably around 500,000 in revenue to maybe a million-ish. That was the bulk of them. Some of the trends that we saw were some of the things that you'll see in CPG. So a handful of CBD type brands or products We had a number of, let's see, keto brands, of course, a lot of gluten-free companies, a handful of people trying to like reinvent things. So like a twist on juice with lower sugar or a twist on sugary snacks with less sugar or your traditional breads, but with more superfoods baked into them. So it really ran the gamut. We were really impressed in general with all the innovation that's out there. I mean, we narrowed it down from, like I said, over 100 to 13. And of those 13, we had a mushroom tea. We had a coffee kombucha hybrid. Hmm. We had a cashew cheese spread called Nut and Ordinary that was absolutely delicious. We had like a reinvention of a Cheez-It, a plant-based meat, all sorts of just really fascinating people. And like I said, this upcycled way hydration beverage. So safe to say, even when you think that the market might be stalling or that there's nothing left to innovate on, I think you'll find you're wrong. And there are interesting people doing interesting things from all over the country. New Orleans, Boston, in the middle of Vermont, in the suburbs of Chicago, in Utah. It didn't matter where it was in the country. Folks are doing really cool things. That's encouraging to hear, especially in times like this, where it seems like opportunities (laughs) are hard to come by. What was it about Superfrau that ultimately helped them be the one that you chose? Yeah, it was really tough. Honestly, there were a handful that we could have gone with. And ultimately, what set Melissa apart was her as an entrepreneur. So in talking with her, she was someone that really had a clear vision of what she was doing. We loved, obviously, that she was not kind of the white male majority of the food and beverage industry. And she had this really interesting problem that we thought would make for a compelling case study. And that problem is, it's a whey hydration beverage, but every time someone hears whey, they think protein. So how do we talk about what's making her product different without creating confusion? 
where does the upcycling story belong? Do people really care about that? Is it a compelling reason? How much do we talk about flavor? How much do we lean into her quirkiness? So just compelling product, compelling person, the right stage in her brand, she was going through a formulation change, going through a bottle change. And so we felt like she had so many challenges that she would really benefit from us working together. So I'm still trying to get my head around the idea that if you drank the liquid on top of yogurt, it would actually be good for hydration. Exactly. It has all of these electrolytes in it. It has a B vitamin content and it has some gut health things as well. So it's actually like super packed, super hydration from super frow. Dang. I've been just pouring that out, wasting it down the drain. (laughs) Yeah. I've started to actually mix it back into my giant yogurt tubs. But yeah, like you, I used to always pour it down the drain and it felt weird, which makes it even more important that her brand succeed because it can help with the food waste issue that is prominent in America today. Yeah, a ton more questions about where that messaging comes in to address some preconceived notions or misperceptions around that specific process. But hoping that you can take us through kind of a top-line overview of what the Sprint to Success process is, what goes into it. Yeah. So like I said, it's a seven-week process for us, which was fast. So we had to really dedicate the team and the time to move in that quickly. Typically, projects for us are maybe around 16 weeks. And so we did it in over half the time. So first stage for us was strategy. So that meant getting to understand Melissa, getting to understand her product, getting to understand her vision, and then doing a deep dive into what does the hydration space look like? And how do we position this very unique brand in a way that resonates with a targeted persona. And so our persona that we established was kind of what we called the alt consumer. So you have a very kind of stereotypical and normative identity in the hydration space. And today it's kind of bifurcated across two types. You have the hardcore athlete that's drinking body armor and Powerade and Gatorade. And then you have the soft, in-touch yogi type that might be drinking a roar or having like a vitamin water or probably drinking some like pH balanced smart water or something like that. And there was this huge gap in the middle of people that were being ignored, people that maybe aren't participating in traditional hardcore sports or running triathlons. And their form of exercise is walking around the block or skateboarding or doing gymnastics or simply just facilitating the needs of their family. And America has a dehydration problem in general. So as we're doing our research, I think the numbers were like on average, 70% of people go day-to-day dehydrated. And so with that identification of that persona, we said, okay, here's a type of person that doesn't really resonate with the two types of hydration norms that are out there. And they need something that's right for them, everyday kind of hydration. And so it was with that understanding that we started to focus on, okay, this brand is going to be built for those people. This brand is going to differentiate itself from super serious, hardcore, all about function. And it's going to differentiate itself from the soft yoga mat type aesthetics of the world. And Melissa, to her credit, was always a very characterful individual, quirky, down to do things differently. So if you go on their Instagram page and you'll see the redesign Each bottle has these funny little sayings on it, like thirsty, I got you. So you want to hydrate, hydrating like a boss. 
because that's really a reflection of her as well as language that we think this consumer audience is going to identify with. So I'll maybe like slow down and pause to see if you have any questions, but we essentially got to know Melissa, got to know the category, got to know the consumer, got to know the brand, and then presented that all to her. And I think that happened within like a week and a half. Wow. And that all makes a ton of sense. And I'm sure you dive more into this in the content itself. But when it comes to developing and identifying the persona that you actually ran with, what goes into finding that white space? I mean, in hindsight, it's so clear to see that, yes, that is the right answer. But when you don't have that to start with, where yeah. do you begin? That's an awesome question. And hindsight always helps. So our strategist, Whitney Siegel, loves to use uh, social listening tools. So that means she's kind of like spying on consumers, either on Instagram, on Twitter, on anywhere that they're kind of like making information public and sharing it. And this gives us an unfiltered view of what they really think. Because if I were to sit down with you and start talking to you about what are your needs around hydration, you'll probably start to over-rationalize things. Or you won't know how to know what you're really asking for and missing. So we use social listening tools to understand where are people complaining within the hydration space, what's working for them, and then also doing social listening for consumers that follow the Superfrau brand because they were already in market. There's a handful of individuals, mostly across the East Coast, that were interacting with the brand and we wanted to know what their thoughts were. So that really helped us like gain an understanding. The other piece though is just like putting together patterns. And when you look at the category, you'll be surprised again, just like how polar it is that hardcore hydration on one side and really soft on the other. And it begs the question of why isn't there something in between? And there could be a million things in between. So figuring out how to make it right for our brand is kind of the key component. Yeah, much easier. It's definitely an art and a science. A lot of art, I would say. <laughs> yes, 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 yes. So speaking of art and science, you've got the strategy, you've got an understanding of Melissa. Then what, what comes next in this process? Yep. So then we move into design. So essentially, we have the strategy now. We're able to brief our creative team. And we designated one of our senior designers, Leah Cawthorn, to be the project lead. So she was really dedicated to bringing solutions to the table. So what we then did was looked at her current pact and asked ourselves, what's working about it? What isn't working about it? Where's the room for opportunity? And how do we come up with a communication hierarchy that helps someone who will never know all of the nuances that you and I are talking about today when they walk up to a shelf and they see this brand they've never seen before next to some coconut waters, some pH waters, and some of the sports drinks. And so we get to big ideas and big ideas are what kind of fuel our work. So in our concept presentation, which you can find on one of the BevNet episodes, which I encourage you guys to watch because it helps you understand how we build that bridge from verbal strategy to visual strategy. And it's really about from a recognition point of view, how do you get someone to look at it and think that it's hydration? Because there's a million types of products that are on shelves these days. And kind of fitting in but standing out is always the hard part. So that's kind of what we look at. How do we utilize things like drop marks? How do we utilize different color palettes that speak to hydration or refreshment? Do we play with the cow as the superhero? Do we not? Because the thing you got to remember is this is a dairy-based product. If you start to talk about that, that gets really confusing. I have never associated dairy with hydration. 
yeah. unless you know Gatorade's coming out of a cow's udders, which would be pretty cool. <laughs> um, so we just, I think we spent about a, a very intense week where internally our process is pulling mood boards together, sharing those visual aesthetics with Melissa and getting her to agree like, okay, before we started any work, just looking at these kind of image selections, these are two that I feel really good about. So we presented mood boards to her. Then with those mood boards, we really started to craft both brand identity, logos, and packaging design simultaneously so that we could move quickly together, but also so that we weren't designing in a vacuum. There's nothing worse than coming up with this beautiful logo and then trying to put it on a pack and realize you've designed something horizontal and your labeling area is vertical (laughs) or that you don't understand how all the pieces come together. So I know we can barely scratch the surface of everything that's in this content series. (laughs) Multi-part. They're probably 30 minute episodes. But when it yep. comes to this information hierarchy, especially for a product like Superfrau, how do you vet that your thinking is going in the right direction, that we're not accidentally portraying the product in a way that people are going to think it's a protein shake? Yes, excellent question. So we put some guardrails in place. For instance, we knew pretty well that whey was confusing. So we're not, we made a decision we're not going to talk about whey on the front, or if we are, it's going to be smaller copy. We also decided that hydration is a pretty powerful word, but how do we make it more ownable? We have, like I said, all of these other benefits, some gut health things, some B vitamins in it, some complex electrolytes. So, you know, fortunately, we had the answer staring us in the face. The brand's called Super Frau. This is a form of super hydration. So we were looking at terms like super hydration, terms like full spectrum electrolytes, which also is another key term. And we really meandered through the communication part. I'd honestly say that was the toughest part of this whole thing. And eventually what we got to was using quips and language to communicate what this was. Along with understanding the context on shelf, it would be near other hydrating beverages. So that kind of like helps you understand that frames your thinking. But it takes a while and it's tough because... You've also got to agree with the client that they feel comfortable and understand that communication strategy. And they provided a lot of value. I mean, Melissa has been talking with her consumer from day one and understanding where people get caught up, where people get tripped up, things that she's tried to use in the past to explain what this product is. So it's kind of this give and take until we land into this perfect placement. Ultimately, though, any brand that's going through communication hierarchy, unless you're going through consumer research, you just have to listen once you put it back in the market. And there's a chance that we may continue to tweak that language given feedback, but that's also kind of the life of entrepreneurs and uh, emerging brands. What are some cues if a brand manager or an entrepreneur is going through this process with you guys? What are some ways that they should interject or make their voice heard? What parts of the process does it make sense for them to interject in that way to help influence the process to go more in the direction that they feel is correct? Yep. I think it's to be candid. There's nothing more damaging than niceties that are covering up a sneaking suspicion that a brand manager might have, that an entrepreneur might have. And so the agencies or whoever the design partner is, even if it's a freelancer, it's their job to set that kind of relationship, that what we're doing is not about our egos, that it's not precious, and that We'd prefer honesty over everything else because that's going to make the work better. And this is a situation where we didn't charge 
super frau whatsoever as a way to give back to her and again, create content for the community. But especially when you're paying for something, you want to make sure that you are voicing any concerns that you ever have. And some of them might not be a big deal, but putting them out there and speaking them into existence is usually the hardest part. Once you say it though, things get so much easier. Everyone knows where everyone stands. Everyone knows how to address the problem because the problem's been stated. So it's definitely on the agency to set that standard, it sounds like. I think they have to set that precedent. Sometimes you get entrepreneurs and maybe they're from New York and that's just like how they roll and they'll tell you how it is. And it's always refreshing for me to hear from people like that, but not everyone's built that way. So you have to invite that type of communication, I think, to really have a lasting impact in whatever field you're working in. Awesome. So you've got the strategy going into the creative, bringing it to life. How do you ensure that the creative actually ladders back to that, the strategy and the insights that you would spend so much time working on? Yeah, great question. So there's a couple like kind of easy things to just talk through. So one is when we build out the strategy, we talk a lot about the personality of the brand. And then when we do mood boards, we're looking at, okay, if our personality is quirky and energetic, we definitely should not be looking super minimalistic and really plain and flat colors. So ensuring that the visuals feel like they ladder up to the personality are usually something that everyone can do, even entrepreneurs that aren't um, comfortable with creative. They'll be able to like put those two things together. The other parts then I think are just like figuring out again, category norms. We like to say that we should always challenge the category, but not the consumer you have to feel like you kind of belong and then figure out how to strategically stand out. There is a certain convention or trope that you expect from hydration beverages. Either they're super black because of performance or they're white or really soft colors to speak to the hydration or they have certain iconography that make you think of water or liquids and and things of that nature or... Sometimes you'll play with like molecules or chemistry type things to talk about electrolytes, but whatever it is, you have to figure out how to bring that to the forefront. So if you look at kind of where we ultimately netted out, you'll see that because we're an Alpine beverage, we came up with this very unique brand mark, which is this mountain peak that as it goes from one peak and drops down to go to the other, it creates this loop that creates a hydration droplet. And so that was us saying, strategically, we're an Alpine-inspired brand and hydration is at the core of what we do. Here's how we put them together. And when we showed that to Melissa, she was absolutely smitten with kind of that look and that thinking and her ability to tell that story to her consumers because it was simple and easy to understand and digestible and repeatable, which was most important. That's great. Challenge the category, not the consumer. That is Mm -hmm. extremely insightful. Love it. So not to go completely out of order here, but one of the starting episodes of this content series is demystifying branding. In the context of what you do, knowing that branding or brand is sometimes used interchangeably or used incorrectly, what is branding? How does it work? What makes good design to pull directly from the application? So you're asking a super smart question. It doesn't matter whether it seems like a beginner question or not, it's something you have to constantly refresh yourself on. So what we're doing, especially when we're working with CPG brands and packaging, is we're creating the brand in hand. It is the assimilation of multiple different touch points, personality, communication, 
strategy, logo, identity design, all of these pieces, packaging structures, and putting it into one succinct place. And that's a very tedious job. And it's also what makes our job fun and also us unique. Branding, we think about in a very kind of rudimentary way, which is it is the culmination of a promise and the ability to follow through on that promise. So for instance, in relationship to packaging, I'm judging the books by its cover. Its design is its promise. It's insinuating something. It's promising me something. It's setting an expectation. Like if I'm trying, I don't know, a fruit bar or something like that, and it's got this amazing like photography on the front of it, and it looks like it's going to be juicy, and I open it up, and it's like totally dry, totally crumbly. I bite into it. It has almost no flavor. They have not done a good job of following through on the promise that they created. Other ways to think about that are like your brand mission. So all of your other touch points or your social media, you set expectations for consumers with how you talk, how you think about things. And then if your actions don't match up to that, your actions being the follow through on your word, then there's a disconnect. And you either have a poor brand where it's misaligned and people can't trust it, or you have a really aligned brand and it's really strong. But branding is really bigger than design. It's the culmination of everything you do, every single touch point. And it's also what consumers say to one another about your brand. It truly exists kind of in the mind. And that all makes sense. And within the context of this process, what does the final deliverable look like at the end of a sprint to success with that really culmination of promises and everything that you present yourself <laughs> with? Yep. So it is the culmination of a totally new brand. So we didn't change the name, obviously, but she got a new logo. She got all new color palettes, all new typography, all new packaging design and assets that come with that. The last episode, which will come out in a week or two, is kind of the like piece that most people don't talk about, which is getting from digital design to real-world application. So our head of production and sustainability, Val, is going to walk folks through what it takes to build a mechanical, essentially the artwork that hands off to a printer to make sure that there's nothing lost in translation, which is a really critical step. Because if you're an entrepreneur and you've tried to do this yourself, you learn the hard way that things don't always come to life like you'd hoped, either because the printing processes are differently or you realize like you have to print everything digitally or without Pantone colors and so on and so forth. And then the other part is the brand book. And brand books are something that we build for all of our clients. That's the leaf behind it. It's essentially their roadmap. Because when our job is done, Melissa's work is just beginning. She's got this new brand, but now she needs to take it out into the real world. And she needs a Bible for the brand, essentially, that says its strategy, why it exists, how it should communicate, what it should look like, what visual rules should not be broken. So that if she brings on a social media partner, if she works with an independent designer to do more skews or adjustments, that everyone knows kind of the rules of the brand. And so our lead designer, Leah, also walks through folks of what this brand book means. Those are the two pieces that are kind of the culmination of the project of Sprint to Success. That is the finish line, essentially. Awesome. Well, I am definitely going to have to tune into that final episode. And I would highly encourage everybody who's listening to this, if you have any interest in packaging design or branding in general, I mean, any of the pieces throughout the process, I think the strategy and strategy implementation to creative episodes of this content series are extremely insightful and interesting. 
So throughout this sprint to success process, what did you find to be the most challenging stage? I can't say there was one stage that was the most challenging other than working through the entire creative. You know, we're talking about touching an entrepreneur's baby, essentially, and really helping them see it in a totally new light. And that can be scary a lot of times. And so I think we presented concepts, we aligned on the one we wanted to move forward with, which we're really excited about. I think we got one or two rounds in. And then Melissa spoke up and started to let us know that things weren't feeling right. And we had to really backtrack and kind of listen. And it dawned on us that Melissa is in a very fortunate position of having some really great advisors. There were, unbeknownst to us, a handful of really smart people from accelerators that she'd been in or mentors or things of that nature that were looking at the work with her behind the scenes, but that we never got a chance to speak to directly. So anytime there's a situation like that, we have to press pause. And we told Melissa that we wanted to have a one-room meeting. And we wanted to get all of her stakeholders and all of the people that are giving her input on one call so that we could walk everyone through the thinking, how we got to where we got, and then be able to open it up and hear where people's concerns were. And as you can imagine, you always want to avoid having too many cooks in the kitchen. It's kind of like the ice cream principle, which is something we preach to our clients that if you tell 10 people they can all get ice cream for free, but they all have to agree on the flavor, you're going to end up with chocolate or vanilla. (laughs) And so we didn't want that. Melissa is really unique as a person, but we did want to hear from these very smart people around what was their concerns to see if we could pull out some larger objectives. Once we did that, everything was smooth sailing from there and it really made the difference. But it was just a good reminder for us to always be making sure that anyone on her side that's a part of her deliberation is able to hear from us firsthand and us from them, vice versa. We were turning Melissa into this messenger, essentially, as a conduit between two parties. And that was a really tough position. So we removed that. And the biggest learning, again, is just entrepreneurs to make sure that when you are working with creatives, that anyone that needs to be a part of the process is there and present so that nothing gets derailed. Because you obviously want to make sure that everyone's heard, but also that things work smoothly. On that same train of thought, how do you draw the line or help the client or entrepreneur draw the line so that feedback from advisors or different people on the team aren't diluting the edge that really make the work what it is? In Melissa's case, reminding her that she's the visionary here, that Interact as an agency that only works in the food and beverage space has tons of great insight, that her advisors who work in the industry have tons of great insight. But at the end of the day, she's the one that's connecting all of the dots. She's the face of the brand. She's having the conversations. She understands where she wants to take it and that she ultimately has to be brave. I can tell you that every single brand that people look up to today that's successful didn't start out that way. And the only way they got there was because they had smart people in a room talking about the decisions they needed to make. But ultimately, they put it out into the market and they listened. And Melissa knows this from her previous experience. And it's something that we continue to reiterate with her that branding and design is a constant winding journey. And we've done what we think is a phenomenal job of helping the consumer understand the positioning and the communication and the reason why they would drink this. But we also have to always constantly be attuned to what folks are saying in the real world. So 
with that, we can deliver it as much as we want, but it's all about making our best guesses and then putting it out into the real world. Well, this has been an awesome interview and I always appreciate you coming on and sharing your wisdom and experience. Where is the best place for our listeners to go and check out this content series and really learn more about what we've been talking about this whole time? Go to bevnet.com or nosh.com, N-O-S-H. Those are the amazing partners that are publishing and using their incredible platform to spread this Sprint to Success series. They're great people. They do amazing journalism on the food and beverage industry, and they've been kind enough to put all of this entrepreneurial series in front of their paywall so that anyone, no matter what size or stage of the brand, can benefit from it. Awesome. Well, as always, thanks for joining us, Fred. It's been a pleasure. We'll obviously have you on again in the future and talk food and beverage trends and design, branding. But where can people go to find out more about Interact? Go to interactboulder.com or... Come and visit us in our small little boulder bubble. Awesome. And that's our show, folks. If you're still listening, either you got some value out of this episode or you got sidetracked and just haven't hit the next button yet. If it's the first one, it would be a massive, huge favor if you could leave us a review on whatever app that you're listening to right now. It helps us get our name out there, which in turn helps us bring more great guests on the show. What I'm really saying is help us to help you. Thanks so much for tuning in and we'll be back same time, same day next week. Stay nerdy. Food Marketing Nerds is a production of Blue Bear Creative. For interview transcripts and other downloadable resources, head to foodmarketingnerds.com.